Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. So, hey crew, new year, new decade, let's have some new Pure Dog Talk promos while we're at it, shall we? Alright, our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom, it's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive, pure dog talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for runner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming. Like, what products do I like or anybody else like? Open mic, Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talk's patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you've supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like a real world. So... Just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I'm your host, Laura Reeves. And you guys, we talk all the time about how we need more breeders And exhibitors are great, and we love every single person who comes to Purebred Dogs. But what we need is more dog breeders. 
And so I'm very excited about our conversation this evening because we're including this as part of Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. But I have extra special guests who have not only a rare breed, but are brand new people to our sport, brand new breeders in our sport, not just showing their dogs, but breeding them. And you guys, I'm bowing down, man. I'm like fully forehead to the ground, excited to talk (laughs) to you guys, because this, this is what we need. So I am dying to hear your input, what brought you here what encouraged you and what advice you have for other people. So Sam and Curtis Brown, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It's a very cool. And Sam, we're going to go ahead and start with you. I'm told that you're the talker and Curtis is like the backup. So we've got like the singers (laughs) in the backup band. Excellent. So Sam, you guys breed bull terriers, not an easy breed. No. So I want you to give us the 411 on what brought you to bull terriers, what made you decide to breed bull terriers, not an easy breed. We just were talking offline <laughs> about like they occasionally eat the random ear. Ah! Okay, yeah. so Oh yeah. Yep. So let's talk about that. So Sam, go. What's your 411? So when I was growing up, you know, I grew up in rural Oregon. Actually, I know you're from the Pacific Northwest. Oh, where'd you grow up? Come on, sister. Ontario, Oregon. Okay. So class of 2006. Nice. The Tigers. Excellent. <laughs> Roseburg High School, class of 1986. Just a few years difference. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was born in I was born in 88, so that would have been oh just two God, years before me. Oh my God! You could be my child. This is terrible. All right. Good job, Sam. Good job. Okay. <laughs> So I started doing 4-H with the family pet dog. Yes. Love it. It was like a terrier mix, right? This is not a nice dog. Yep. A sweet dog, but not a fancy dog. Right. And so, you know, eventually I did it for quite a few years. I was really kind of hooked. And we got more of like a pet Weimaraner, right? Like probably not a fancy AKC dog. But my grandparents lived in Klamath Falls. Yes. So we went to the Klamath Falls dog show. Yes. Special visit to grandma and grandpa's. Yes. And it was like, wow. I mean, you might as well have taken me to Westminster. I thought it was the best thing ever. And I continue okay, wait, to show. Wait, wait, for you people who have been to the Klamath Falls Dog Show, that's <laughs> saying something. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> well, and so it's because in Ontario, it's very rural. Yes. And so that's like going from showing dogs in a cow pasture when the weather's nice enough to going to an indoor dog show was a really big deal for me. Even if it was an indoor dog show on dirt, it was still undercover. Oh, yeah. It was undercover, yeah, but it was indoor ish. So. After that, I continued in juniors, you know, to some success or whatever. But when I went to college at Oregon State is actually when I started going to the Portland shows and Seattle. And that was more serious, right? And I showed kind of different dogs. And I would just show up and kind of help people, right? Like, I just wanted to be there. I was just happy to be there. I didn't really own any dogs to great extent. But anyway, fast forward a little bit, I moved closer to home and started my career as a public accountant. And I met my husband. And at the time, you know, I had a couple different types of dogs and I was taking them to dog shows and stuff. So he kind of knew what he was getting into. (laughs) Okay, Curtis, you're going to get your chance here in a minute, honey. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's coming, right? Because the bull terriers are coming. And so when we got married, I had sort of a big, hairy breed of dogs. And one of them died. And I was like, oh, we'll just get another one. And Curtis asked me this question. And so I'm going to let him ask the question. Okay, he Curtis, go. Eight years ago. I love this. Oh, yeah. I, just, I simply asked, is there any other breed that we could show and breed besides this specific breed? Is there anything else? <laughs> then that's when we started searching. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so am I allowed to ask what the giant hairy breed was or we don't want to run them down? <laughs> it was wolfhounds. I had some Irish wolfhounds. <laughs> I love Irish wolfhounds. Oh, you're killing me here. Us too, but... They were really big and really hairy, and we were kind yeah. of a young couple with an 18-month-old kid, yep. and the wolfhounds weren't really into that necessarily, right. an 18-month-old pulling their hair and stuff. So Curtis asked me, would you have anything else? And we said, well, yeah, sure, you know, maybe short-haired, maybe a medium-sized dog. Neither one of us really small dog people, right? Right. Something unique. Yeah. Unique. Something Good. unique, yeah. Yes. And so you wound up with what is a low entry breed. I mean, basically, bull terriers are not high on anybody's list in terms of numbers. Yeah, that's shocking to us. We love them. We have a bunch of them, but we're not really sure why that's the case. But anyway, so we narrowed it down to whippets and bull terriers, right? Those were the two. And I was kind of leaning towards the whippets because it's more like what I knew and hounds right. and stuff. And right. I kind of hung around the late Don Rogers, actually, if you yes. remember him before he passed away. He's a hound guy. So that's kind of what I knew. Don was one of my early mentors. So yes, I'm very familiar. Yeah. But Curtis was like, well, we have our son and a bull terrier looks sturdier. So that's why we went with that. It literally was more sturdy. <laughs> and it is. They're really sturdy. Yeah. Funny. We needed a dog that could move. Okay. So Curtis, tell us your part of this story. Well, oh boy. So I am not from the West Coast. I'm actually from Ohio, and I joined the military, which took me out to Idaho. I and mean, that's when I met Samantha, and we kind of got together, and I knew she had dogs. I kind of knew that it was serious, but then when I decided I was going to marry her, she just reminded me before that happens, you know, the dogs are a part of this. You know, you're, you're not just marrying me. <laughs> you're a part of this. And, so I've accepted that from the beginning, and we're going on our 10-year anniversary now. So, honey, you understand that every dog woman listening wants to clone you, right? Do you have 16,000 <laughs> brothers? I've heard that a lot. I've heard it a lot from a lot of people in the dog show world. I've had animals. I was raised on a bit of a horse farm, and I've loved animals forever. I've never really been into dogs or showing dogs. So, you know, I walked right into this crazy wall of, and then that's why I asked, you know, is there any other breed? Because Irish Wolfhounds is being a wonderful dog as it is. I don't think they travel as well. They don't move around as well, right. you know, and being in the military, knowing that I'm going to be moving every few years could be tough. So that's kind of why we went with Bull Terriers, a sturdy breed that could take the bumps of the road of, you know, kind of being in the military. Mm -hmm. so. I love it. And so do you have white and colored bull or one or the other? We breed both. We breed only standards, not minis. Minis are their own breed. Yes. And in America only, you show the colors and the white separately. Correct. So it's kind of strange. It's almost like breeding two breeds. Because if you have a litter, you get both, depending on how you breed and use your colors. Mm -hmm. In North America, it's most common to breed a colored to a white. You end up with a lot of, like, colored bred whites. And 
you know, you get coloreds and whites in the litter, but you would never show the siblings against each other in North right. America. Now, right. anywhere else in the world, they're all shown together. Right. So you take your white bull terrier litter mate to your colored bull terrier and show them at the dog show. And so you literally get two breeds for the price of one. Kind of, but it's kind of challenging because, you know, one, as you breed along, you don't want to end up with mismarked puppies because then right. they're not as desirable. Like, yes, you can show a mismarked if it's a really good one, but, you know, you want your whites to be white. And then you also don't want to get too much white in your colored because it is one of our disqualifications to have over 50% white on a colored because then it's no longer like a colored or a white. So it's kind of challenging in that aspect because you're dealing with color and then, you know, our breed brindle is preferred. And so you sort of deal with like the recessive, you know, weighing, okay, brindle versus all other things aside, another color like a red or fawn and you come in many colors, try, et cetera. So they're fun. There's a lot that goes into it. So the art and the science definitely both applies. Yes, I love that. And so... I'm going to take one minute to do a shameless pure dog talk plug because you told me at the intro that you guys both listen to the podcast when you're traveling to dog shows and the kids are into yeah. it. Yeah. So tell our listeners what's your favorite episode and what is your favorite thing you learned from pure dog talk? Well, I can already tell you the episode most listened to in the brown van on the way to dog shows yep. is the one with David Fitzpatrick, <laughs> Mr. Pekingese. Huh? Because awesome. I was going to say David Merriam, but no, David Fitzpatrick. No, and David Merriam is wonderful, right? He's fantastic. And we were actually there when he judged Best in Show at the Garden a few years ago. Uh But David, so I wanted to talk a little bit about this. For us, you know, we've had fantastic mentors in our breed, of course. But some of the really near and dear to our heart ones are the ones that are in other breeds. And David has been so kind to us. And so we knew him before he was on the show and my son just adores him. And so when he had his stint on pure dog talk, we've listened to that like 10 times. Right. Well, David Fitzpatrick is the nicest human. (laughs) I'm not going to lie to you. I adore him. I was showing a pug dog and frequently saw the behind end of a Pekingese that David Fitzpatrick was showing, (laughs) as I think I mentioned. And he is, he is truly a great dog man and a great human. And just one of those people that I look up to in the sport. So I love that that can be something for other people. Absolutely. So how we got to know him was we went to the New Brunswick shows a few years ago. And if you've ever been to that show, it's kind of an early in the spring show. It's by happening this month. And it's crowded. You know, it's indoor show, but it's really crowded. And there was nowhere to really put your things except for this little sliver of space right next to David. And I didn't really know who he was. People were probably just giving him some space, right? Because he's David. Right. And we park our bull terriers there and they're loud and they're probably jumping around or probably making a mess with the chalk. And he's just kind of like watching it happen. And he was so nice to us. (laughs) And so we kind of got to know him over the years. We kept setting up next to him. And eventually we had some trouble with the C-section litter uh, a couple of years or two ago. And I kind of like remember seeing him at the show and was like, hey, you know, he breeds a breed that probably has sections and is hard too. Right. And so I talked to him a little bit about it. And, you know, he kind of talked through with me like, well, this is how I time them. And this is how I sort of know when's Mm -hmm. just right. And this Mm -hmm. is some things that might have happened. And I really appreciated that. 
I appreciated it because he doesn't have a dog in the fight, right? Like, you know, he's a Pekingese guy. Right, right. But he's a dog man. Using his advice has probably saved multiple litters for us, just based off of what the vet thinks is proper when this may be the first bull terrier, because that's another issue we run into is most vets don't really see very many bull terriers. So they're timing our bitches the way that they think they should be timing a lab or something else. And it may be completely different Mm -hmm. for us. And so that advice that he kind of gave us on like how to monitor the bitch and let her tell you when she's ready probably saved us a couple of letters. Right. Well, I think the thing about David, Pekingese, not Pekingese, whatever, David is a great dog man. And to me, to me, and I'm 40 years in and very much came up a lot of the same way, the great dog people are what keep you here. That tribe, that family piece. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Heads up, crew. Pure Dog Talk is thrilled to welcome Embark as a major sponsor of the podcast. So Embark Veterinary is a DNA testing service that's focused on helping breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts understand and improve the genetic health of their dogs. After using Embark's simple cheek swap process, breeders receive an easy-to-understand, comprehensive report on the genetic health, diversity, and the traits of their dogs. Cool. As part of this report, breeders also gain access to Embark's breeder-exclusive matchmaking tool that allows them to assess potential mates and better understand litter outcomes from possible breeding pairs. Extra cool. Embark makes it easy to understand your dog's DNA results by providing breeders with access to an in-house team of veterinary geneticists, extra, extra cool, for individualized genetic counseling and personalized guidance on how best to apply your dog's Embark results to your breeding program. From improving the long-term health of your breeding program to increasing genetic diversity in your breed, Embark is with you every step of the way. So I want you to talk about everybody else I know, everybody else I talk to is like, yep, I got a dog, I'm showing it. I got a dog, I'm showing it. I got a dog, I'm showing it. What we need is more dogs and more breeders. And so what made you guys decide you weren't just going to take that first dog and have a 28 million platinum (laughs) blah, blah, grand champion, right? I mean, I don't mean to dismiss the grand champion system. It's a wonderful thing to keep people involved in the sport, but it does not address breeders. So speak to me about that piece. Obviously, when you're breeding, and especially when you're a young breeder, you know, we were new to the breed. Eight years ago, we were new to breeding, really, especially me. You know, now I'm the one that stays with the whelping box and I'm the one with the puppies all day. And I'm the one doing the C-sections by myself, which I never would have seen myself doing and delivering puppies. So it's difficult in that aspect. But when it comes right down to why we continue to breed, for me, is is two reasons. The joy on the faces of the families when we get to send companion puppies home with them has always been remarkable. You know, we're sending companion puppies that people just love forever. And our delicious bull terrier family of everybody who we sent puppies to follows us on Facebook and continuously posts pictures of their dogs as they grow. And we get to kind of see them grow and be like, well, maybe we should have kept that one in hindsight. Maybe next time we'll think of it differently before we put it in a pet home. But 
as we go on and as we continue to breed, obviously we want to continue to breed better things. And even if we have an amazing dog or an amazing bitch, like the one who we just had win the Grand Fraturity at our Silverwood show this past year, you know, we still want to continue to thrive to breed better things, not only for our breed, but for the betterment of our breed, right? Preservation breeding, continuing to do things and enhance the breed the best that we can, not just in type, but the temperaments and everything. So that's why I think when we continue to breed and not just take, like you said, and get that one dog and then just run it until, you know, it wins Westminster or, or even just goes to Westminster to win the breed or whatever the case may be, we have to continue to breed the next best thing. And it's difficult because we're the ulterior breeders that always have a puppy, you know, <laughs> we go to the Silverwood specialty show and a lot of people are showing dogs that we've seen in the ring many, many years over. And we're the ones there with all of these young puppies and it can be difficult, but it's also very rewarding, I think, in the end as the dogs grow. So that's kind of my piece on why I enjoy the breeding aspect. I love that. Okay, Sam. So I can kind of give the background. So we were lucky enough to start out with a really, really nice bitch from Action Bull Terriers from Franny Berez. She's you know, really well, well-known, well super established, right? And I think from the beginning, I hadn't bred my own dogs before, but I did grow up on a dairy. You know, I grew up around agriculture, and so it was definitely something that I was comfortable with. And so I still remember really wanting to have like that first litter of puppies from her, you know, so we specialed her and she was a grand champion and she went to Europe and wanted a show there, you know, a bunch of things. Right. And so finally it came time. And I still remember when that first puppy was born, I was like, oh my gosh, I've made it right. Like that was the goal. Right. So we had the first litter and Curtis was like, he was kind of involved, but he was kind of like, you know, oh, this is okay. And this is a little weird, you know. And then, um, yeah, he wasn't even, he kind of like hid downstairs, I think. We were having him in our bedroom. She actually did free welcome. And he was kind of hiding downstairs. And actually, sadly, so one of the puppies was stillborn. She had like six puppies, but one was born stillborn. And so I remember handing it to him in a towel and was like, hey, can you put this in the freezer so we can take care of it later while we were still having puppies? And right. we had a dog meat freezer, right? No, he puts it like next to the Eggo waffles. And I opened the freezer the next morning and I'm like, really? Anyway. Okay. I've lost two puppies. Well, three puppies really in the last like six months. Oh, I'm sorry. And one of them got put in our regular freezer. Like I said, the same thing to Kim. I'm like, here, go put this in the freezer. And then I'm like, no, I can't go in the freezer because the dead puppy is still yeah. in the freezer and you have to like wrap it up so I can't see it. <laughs> yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> Any that we have lost have been planted into flowering pear trees. Yeah. Yes. We do. Mine usually get buried around the ornamental shrubs and those. We have one that's called a smoke tree. And Smoke was one of my old dogs. And so all the babies get buried around the smoke yeah. tree. So I totally get that. And this is a real part of breeding. You know, sometimes puppies don't make it or whatever. Yeah. And that it's hard. Like, I think breeding yeah. is hard in general because of that. Because you do get attached to them and you don't do a breeding because you expect the puppies not to make it. So I think that was something we kind of learned together. I've gone through together a few times and it kind of made us a little closer. But to get back to the actual why we started breeding like we do now, we had our first couple litters, you know, and I think around that time, I like to research. I'm a reader. And I started listening to Pat Trotter, right, had given a breeder to breeder symposium speech 
And Bill Sheldon had sort of become more vocal about preservation breeding and this sort of idea. And when we would go to place puppies, and bull terriers don't always have a great big litter of puppies. Sometimes you just have a few. And we would get just so many inquiries for companion puppies, not just companions, but people who want them, right, to maybe bring them to a dog show or do obedience or agility. And we've had dogs go to all those types of homes. And we were like, they're all great homes. It wasn't like we were trying to weed through these like shady applications. Those are fantastic people. Right. We've got two puppies to place. And we're like, okay, well, how do we pick, you know? Right. And so we really felt like there was a place to kind of breed a little more actively. And so we started doing that a few years ago. And we've been really happy with it. And I think it's been a good thing for us in sort of our journey to produce really nice quality dogs. And if you're breeding actively, we learned you're never boxed into, well, I have to keep this or I don't have anything to show for two years. Right. It's, well, we're expecting another litter. You know, it might be in the next one and so on and so forth. You don't find yourself having to settle. Right. Curtis, what were you going to say? We have two litters of puppies upstairs right now. And when the first litter came out, I was like, oh, this one may be a pet. This one may be a pet. This one may be a pet. Uh, Let's see what we have coming next week. Yeah. Right. I love the idea that more people are breeding dogs and encouraging more people to breed dogs. So give us some advice to the new person who's new in their breed that feels overwhelmed. That's like, I couldn't possibly, you know, like Curtis said, I don't know, you know, I mean, let's talk about that. And how did you overcome that? And what is advice for other people to overcome that same problem? I think it's like a lifestyle choice, like at least for us. So like you sort of get into, okay, you know, you're going to have a bigger van. You're probably going to need space to sort of properly raise all these whatever they are, dogs or puppies or wherever you're, you know, you kind of know what, okay, I can keep about this many dogs, you know, and that's responsible and such. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it's incredibly rewarding. Do it with mentorship. We mentored in our breed for a few years before we ever bred our first litter. We've traveled to Europe three times to see dogs. Like you said, we have a low sort of entry, small gene pool. So Curtis and I have felt really strongly and been sort of guided to really see dogs before you use them, right? With AI and frozen semen, you can easily use dogs you've never seen. And we've really made a point of seeing dogs before we use them. And we've only ever used one that I can think of that we didn't see, but our friends had seen him right in person, quite a few people. And so Mm -hmm. we'd seen video and film and all those things. Mm -hmm. So it's an incredible journey, right? Like, yeah, you're going to make some concessions in your personal life, mostly sleep. You don't always sleep a lot. (laughs) (laughs) You can sleep when you're dead, man. I'm telling you. But you're also going to go all over the world. You're going to meet incredible people. At least it's been our experience. We have friends that are closer than our extended family in dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, when you go to the shows, it's great. And when you're breeding, you know, you're really doing something that's very special. You know, and it's not only special to you, but it's special to those families that are going to be getting dogs from you. And it's great for kids, right? So we do everything as a family. We go to the shows as a family, we raise the puppies as a family, we do the chores as a family. And so it is something that a family can do that's not in an agricultural area. You can raise a litter of puppies in the suburbs, it's not a big deal. And it's something that you can sort of instill some of those similar like 4-H type lessons into your kids, you know. Right. Obviously responsibly, of course, you know, we always advocate for responsible breeding and stuff like that. But I think it's a positive thing. I mean, it's definitely a family thing, at least for us, that everybody can be involved in. 
my kids, you know, they've bottle fed puppies and they help clean up after dogs. And I think that's really important stuff when it comes to our sport. I want to say Pat Trotter had said at one point, you know, it's great to run around and get ribbons, but someone's got to be doing the cleaning up and the breeding. Yep. And that's kind of where we're at with it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And you guys have more than one child, right? Like yeah. this is a good sized family of people as well as dogs. Yeah, we have actually my daughter is five and she has a horse that is her horse that is also five. And then my son, he's going to be nine. So he's really excited about getting into juniors. And yeah, Samantha has a full time career, you know, so she goes to work every single day. I'm a 10-year veteran of the Air Force, so I have the luxury of being able to stay home now. We kind of made that decision about three years ago that I would get out of the military and kind of work on the house. So I do renovations every time we move and take care of puppies. And, you know, so very, very busy, active family when it, when it comes to what we do every single day. So what I'm hearing is I hear a lot of, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I have kids. I have a family. I'm like, hello. Yeah. Here we go, guys. <laughs> These are my people on a pedestal saying, yeah, you can totally do this. It's very doable. I think it takes a commitment, you know, and for us, obviously, it's a passion. Right. I won't speak for Curtis. It's kind of become part of my life's work. But I think with a little bit of passion and ambition and listen to your mentors, right? Like when we go into anything with the dogs, you know, it's eyes and ears wide open. There's always things to learn, but it's very doable, right? Like especially like a litter. It's probably not a big deal, you know, as long as you have maybe a support system to help you place your puppies and stuff right. and guide you. Right. I mean, now they have puppy culture. We actually, we've been to Jane's house a few years yes. ago and stuff, but they have puppy culture now, so they can use that. I was going to ask you if puppy culture is totally a bull terrier thing and how does that impact what you guys do? Absolutely. So Jane and Mark were kind enough to have us visit when they had a litter of puppies and it was great. I mean, you know, they were able to sort of teach us this is how we're raising them and this is how we're socializing. And she's the expert, right? Yeah. And we spent like a day and a half with them, I think. So, I mean, what better mentorship can you ask for? And people have just been like so well, it's, giving it's of their time in that way. Curtis, what were you saying? When we come to people who have never owned a bull terrier, it's a very unique breed. I mean, we've had bull terrier owners who will take pictures of their dogs sitting on their butts and say, is this normal? You know, that's in a picture of bull terriers laying completely flat out with its back legs sprawled out completely flat on the floor and say, I've never seen this before. Is there something wrong with it? You know, and I'm like, no, it's a bull terrier. So puppy culture has been a really amazing thing. And we advertise it on our website and almost every family that we sell to actually purchases puppy culture before they buy a dog from us. Mm. And it's really great because they kind of have a cheat sheet to help them with not only bull terriers, but just raising a puppy as it is. Nice. And so as you go, you kind of learn, this is what works for our dog because every puppy is different. You know, you have the wild ones, the quiet ones, the sweet ones, the star, that complete terrier of all the dogs. But having puppy culture has been nice. Over the years, we've learned to kind of adapt it into what works best with our household. Sure. You know, when I talked to Jane, I was like, yeah, I do a lot of this stuff. Cool. Good job marketing it. <laughs> When I first heard about puppy culture, and I'm pretty sure I said this to Jane, it's like, that's what I already do. But I thought it was so genius that they saw the market, they saw the need, and they created a really valuable package that people can incorporate 
into maybe I don't have someone like my mom raised me and I could call her at three o'clock in the morning and ask her. If you don't have that, this is a great option. Yeah, we absolutely use it. And I think families, you know, it's on a platform that's very comfortable for them to watch in their home. Right. Sometimes families can be a little squeamish about just like calling you for everything. And so it's a reference and it's a great tool for them. Right. No, I love that. Okay, you guys, anything else that you would like to offer out to brand new people who think maybe the idea of breeding a dog is kind of cool, but it's terrifying. So best advice first, Sam, then Curtis. I would say, one, do your homework. Understand what you're getting into commitment-wise. We talked a little bit about the difference between maybe having a litter of another breed, like a Labrador, versus having a litter of Bull Terriers is a little different. And also to go into it with, I always say, like ears and eyes wide open, you know, listen to your mentors, listen to those people around you, and then you just go for it, right? Like at some point, Curtis and I decided we really want to be like on our own, right? We want to make some of our own decisions and stuff later on. And so just go for it. Like, don't be so intimidated by it that you don't do it. Love that. Curtis? So I'm kind of on the same wavelength. When we first started, even with our first couple of breedings, I never grew up with the eye. Everybody has that eye. Right. I've had it grow into my eye over the years and be able to like actually look at a dog and be able to tell the difference from, you know, 15 bull terriers in the ring. Right. And my son is learning the eye, right? And Samantha's always had it. From the very first couple of litters that we've done, she's been like, I really want to use this specific dog, but nobody else really wants me to use it. Some people even use the terms, you know, I think you guys bred your bitch down, you know? Mm. And right after that, that dog that we had bred to two weeks later, won our national specialty show. And so now all of a sudden we look like geniuses. <laughs> I love it when that happens. <laughs> it happens twice. It happened again with another dog that ended up winning the world shows. So it's interesting how it happens, but I guess, you know, my advice to people who are maybe actively breeding, not brand new at breeding, but maybe actively breeding, but still young is, you know, don't be afraid. If it's in your gut and your heart and you see a good breeding, like I always tell people, I feel like Samantha studies down to the chromosomes. We're almost to the point where we could breed a generation of the same eye patch, you know, because mm. there is a science to it and she's really good at it and studying mm -hmm. it and just seeing it. So don't be afraid to just go out there. It was a difficult process going out on our own, but it's also been very rewarding. Every single dog that is in our house right now, we own 100% and it's wonderful being able to make those decisions on breeding just with the two of us and having the mentors be able to just say, this is what we would do. This is how we would do it. And I feel sometimes like they're more helpful or they want to be more involved when helping us make decisions on breeding when they don't have a hand in the pot. Right. They don't own the dog, so right. they can give us their honest opinion on what they would do because it's not their dog, but it's easier for them to feed us information. So at some point, I think, you know, maybe not for everybody, but just don't be afraid to go out on your own and start your own name. I love it. All right. You guys are fabulous. I love this. I hope everyone can take a page out of Sam and Curtis's book because this, this is what we need lots more of in purebred dogs. So thank you guys. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic 
are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our dog show superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 